We're going to spend some time like we do each Sunday uh, looking at God's word together. And uh, then after that, there'll be an opportunity for us to respond in, in worship and prayer. An opportunity for you to be prayed for if you want to in a, another part. So this isn't the last thing we do, but this is the next part of our, our service as we continue together. Uh, we're thinking about this subject um, uh, today. It's called Rediscovering Joy. Uh, it's taken from the Bible, uh, from Ezra, the book of Ezra. And if you're using uh, a Bible that is the same edition as mine, which you might do, uh, be doing it's on page uh, 478. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles we used to use in Portswood Church. So this one uh, today is actually the last in our series. We've been, since June, tracking the story, the true story, the account of how God's people in the Old Testament, as we heard, as they, as they came back from exile in Babylon, uh, back to Jerusalem. Uh, and it's a time for them of really great joy. That should work. Have I got the wrong button? Oh, there we are, yes. I thought that um, when, when you think about joy, um, I thought this was a, a good picture that might sum up the idea of joy. I don't know from whose point of view, whether that's what the cow's dreaming about or whether you're thinking about, but, but we're thinking about joy today. Where does, where does joy come from, real joy? What exactly do we mean by that? So let's have that's a more appropriate picture maybe for, for the rest of the sermon. <laughs> where, where do people get joy? Where, what brings people joy? I'll talk to each other about that for a minute. Go on, you know, ask your next door neighbor and see what, what, what brings them joy or what you think brings people joy. A couple of minutes. No, no, not very long, you know. It's okay. I won't ask you to feedback. Uh, up. Anyone want to shout anything out? Where do people get joy, do you think? Anyone suggest anything? I said I wouldn't ask you. Sorry? Cake. Cake. Yeah, stuff that... So I got stuff like... Um, it's stuff in the world around, you know? It could be something really amazingly beautiful, like a mountain or a sunset, or it could be cake. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it, it's in the world around. Something that brings you great joy. Yeah, uh, anyone else got anything else that uh, came up? Sorry? Grandchildren. Grandchildren, yeah. Stuff around relationships and love, you know, being in love or meeting someone or having a baby. You what? Coming back to church gives you joy. That's good. Yeah, thanks, Jane. Yeah, that will be something. And actually, that was another thing that I had. Uh, that, that is, you know, you get real joy in satisfaction of, of something that's completed. You know, when a, when a job's been done, you think, whoa, that's really good. That's done. That's been completed. And, and, and you know, in many ways... Um, yeah, we, we, we might have that experience when we go into the new church building. I went into it about three weeks ago, just as the paint was going up on the, on the, on the kind of, uh, the bit by the front door. And I, and I thought, wow, this is going to be, I think it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. I should have trusted the drawings. I did, of course. But then, you know, when you see it, you stand there, you think, yeah, it's going to work. So we get joy in that. But, you know, sometimes these joy when it comes to stuff between people or when something amazing or almost miraculous happens, joy can be like a window into something more, can't it? C.S. Lewis talked about that. You know, it was one of the things that began him on his, his, his progress towards being a Christian was, was an awareness as, some, as a person he, he got something a taste of something outside of himself, outside of this world, when, when he saw something amazing. 
And that can be true for us. It's a bit like, um, I'm calling it, Joy Plus. <laughs> joy Plus. Now, I, you know about Sky Plus, don't you? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's like joy, but there's this added dimension. Something that, that, that kind of comes from God. Something extra. And today, we're with God's people at a time when they're experiencing great joy. Actually, it's Joy Plus. Now, let me just briefly tell you the story so far. This is the last installment. They were in exile, uh, uh, hundreds, thousands away, in, uh, miles away from Jerusalem in Babylon, and they've been brought back. They were brought back to build a temple. That was the first step. And they started, they built the foundations, and then they got really, really, really discouraged, and they stopped building for about 15 years. And God sent two prophets called Haggai and Zechariah who gave them his word and they start building the temple again and then eventually they finish. And where we are today is what it was like when they finished the job. And we've been looking at the message of these two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, seeing how God spoke to those really discouraged people who just got, oh, we can't carry on anymore. And how God's word kind of brought them to life and uh, enabled them to get back into relationship with him again, get back into what he wanted them to do. And then here in this passage, they finished. If you missed some of the stuff in Haggai and Zechariah, do listen to it online. Uh, I found the, just studying it really amazingly helpful. And you wouldn't kind of realize how much it, it does connect with our lives. Unless, of course, you're someone who's never, ever been discouraged. Maybe you're all in that position. So that's okay. Don't bother. So there's a great deal of joy around. But there's much more to it than that. Uh, uh, so there's a great deal of joy around. But it, and it's come from them finishing this temple. But there's much more to it than just that the job has been done. This is joy plus. This is joy that's come from the way God is part of their lives. Now, how about joy plus for us? That'd be nice to have in our lives. Joy plus, something from God. Joy from God. Well, let's have a look at Ezra chapter 6, verse 13. I want to read the passage there. uh, And this is how it goes. Then because of the decree King Darius had sent... Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar Bozanai and their associates, these were the local government around them, carried it out with diligence. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Iddo. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. And on the 14th day of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover. The priests and Levites had purified themselves and were all ceremonially clean. 
The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, for their brothers, the priests, and for themselves. So the Israelites who had returned from their exile ate it. That's the Passover. Together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. For seven days they celebrated with joy the feast of unleavened bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. Joy plus. As we look into this passage, let's find the ways that they know this joy from God in their lives. And maybe that'll point us to finding that joy for ourselves too. So we can know that joy from God in our lives. We'll get real joy. We'll get real joy seeing our building completed. But the Lord has got much more for us than joy just from seeing a building completed. Much, much more. So let's start off and see where, where this joy comes from. Here's the, the first part, really. There's great joy in seeing God at work. Verse 14 is an interesting verse, if you've got the passage open. It says that the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet, Zechariah, da, da, da. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of, and there's these lists of, of kings. See, they do the job themselves, but they do it, says uh, Ezra, according to the commands of the God of Israel and the decrees of the various governments. And that takes us right back to the beginning of this whole story, when they first get back to, from Babylon to Jerusalem, because the government tells them to go. God is at work in the governments around them. And just remarkably, because God has said that was what was going to happen, they get the opportunity to go back again. See, God is moving, governments are acting, but God's purposes are being worked out. God is at work in the big picture. You see, God can, is like that. He works in the big picture. And that's why, why we pray big prayers. That's why the, the Bible tells us to pray for the government and to pray for these kind of things. Because, because God isn't immune or, or God isn't pa uh, paralyzed from intervening in our world. That's why we pray. And, you know, you can see stories of that. And it's amazing to see things happen. Uh, some of us were praying. I couldn't make it. I was uh, preparing for Thursday. But, but on Wednesday for school pastors and street pastors. Some amazing things have happened as, as, as the council have invited street school pastors to do things. God has worked in that way as people have prayed. I was reading a story about how UCCF and IFES have opened this building right in the heart of Oxford, down Blue Boar Lane, a place that, that Michael Green, when he did the opening message, said, this is amazing that they got that building in this place because God was at work. It was all through other kinds of activities, even in our own small way. Uh, somebody was telling me that, you know, Portswood Church once applied to, to put a, uh, an upper story on the back of the building a number of years ago. Some of you might remember that. Yes. And what happened? The, govern the government said no. We didn't have planning permission. But now we have. God works in these ways. God is at work. And there's great joy in seeing God at work. And you know, those, of you, those of you who are into uh, Dragon's Den, whoops, oh, I must be careful. That's nearly went there. Uh, Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den, you know Dragon's Den? You know the, the business entrepreneurs? You know the question they always want to know? Someone comes with an idea. They want to know, is it scalable? 
Can it grow? Is God being at work? Is that scalable? (laughs) Yes, it is. Because of God. Because of who he is. Because he is the Lord of all. Because he works in the big picture. And as we pray and as we see that, as we notice it, as we thank him for it, so we catch the joy of that. Joy plus as we see God at work in the big picture. But there's more of it. Did you see that in verse 14? God not only worked in the big picture, he worked through the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah. God was working through his word. God has revealed himself in his word. He's spoken to us in his word. And as we we understand his word, as we get to know him better in his word, as we turn what we're learning into prayer and he draws near to us, so he works in us by his word. As we understand it, he speaks, he draws near. Do you remember what Jesus said about the word of God? He said, it's like bread. It's not good enough to live by bread. You need every word of God to sustain you. In life, God works in our lives through his word. And there's joy in knowing that word working, opening our eyes, sneaking up on us sometimes. You know, have you found that God's word kind of sneaks up or God sneaks up on you and, and you discover something, it, it, it explodes in your mind, you're in your heart. Suddenly you realize something that you haven't seen before. And, they, and, they, and I said before, the message that Haggai and Zechariah bring is the way God works in these people, how they, they get back on track again. And again, check it out online. So there's joy as they respond to God. They build, they change, they come back to him again. He's been calling them through Haggai and Zechariah to return to me. We were thinking a couple of weeks ago, it's almost like God, God is like uh, someone... Uh, in a couple, you know, the exile was like a separation. God's people have come back to the land. They're back in the same house. And God is saying through Zechariah and Haggai, look, I want you to be the life, the wife that loves me, not just the wife that shares my house again. And here they are, they're back in love with God again, connected with him again. It happened. God's word worked in them. But, you know, they had to respond. If they'd stayed the same, it wouldn't have happened. And, you know, sometimes I think the great curse of our kind of Christianity is that we think that we don't have to respond. We're just passive. We think that, well, God is God, so it will all be all right anyway. We miss out on so much if we don't respond to him in obedience. So God is thirdly at work in their response, in our response. Did you notice it? It talks here about the elders of the people. Before they talked about Joshua and Zerubbabel, the priests and the governor, or the the ex-king. Here it's the leaders, verse 16, verse 14 tells us the whole people of Israel are involved. And they continue, they built it, they kept going, all of them. And they finished the job. Why did they do that? Because they responded. Why did they respond? This is a bit of a mystery. But Haggai tells us, if you remember Haggai, you can check it out online if you want to get the story. Haggai tells us that the Lord stirred their hearts. God actually was with them in the response. Didn't turn them into robots and make them respond. But as they responded, woof, God was there. You know, like the pilot light, lighting the boiler, as it were. Stirring their hearts 
to know him, to love him, to respond to him again. So these three ways they saw God at work in the big picture through his word in their response. Same for us. Same Lord. He is same today, intervening in our circumstances, working through his word, stirring us as we respond to him. That's where we get joy plus. Much more than a great temple. That was the thing, much more than the building that they built or the building that we're going to build or our builders of building. So we can know that joy, God at work, in our circumstances, in the big picture, through his word, by his word, in our lives as we respond to him. Let's continue in that. We need that mindset that God works, God does things. And as we get that mindset, so it becomes a kind of lifestyle and we begin to live it. And we hope that we'll have more stories each week of the ways God works in our lives. And next Sunday, if you've got a story that you want to share about something God has done for you, it can be a really small thing. It doesn't have to be a, a major healing resurrection or something of that nature. You know, just a, an answer to prayer would do, or the way the Lord helps you in your, in your life, then there's an opportunity we'd love for you to share. Because God works and as we see him work we can know real joy that's the first thing second thing is we see them uh, real joy joy plus as they dedicate themselves to god there's joy in dedicating ourselves to god and that's in verses 16 to 18 in the passage we see what happens as they dedicate the temple to the lord they celebrate it with joy It says that in verse 16. They celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. And you get the picture, don't you? They're they're, they're coming to God and they're saying, God, we want to give you everything. All the work we've done, all the time we've done, all the the time we stopped just doing our own houses and got to work on your temple, God. All of that we're celebrating, we're rejoicing in what we were able to give. And God gave them real joy. And they're still responding to God's word. Did you notice that? They do it according to what is written in the book of Moses. And they bring these sacrifices as part of it. There's a whole list of hundreds of rams and bulls and male lambs and all kinds of stuff. But in the mix, did you notice there are 12 goats, 12 male goats, which are described as a sin offering for all of Israel. What is that about? Well, the sin offering, you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 4. Don't do that now unless you're really bored, but at some point you can look it up in Leviticus chapter 4. It's all about unintentional sin. It was the way God gave the people in the Old Testament before Jesus came. If they, they felt that they, they'd done something wrong and that there was something kind of between them and God, but they hadn't done it deliberately. It's something that had happened unintentionally. Then they were able to make a sacrifice. Uh, and it's as if the whole kind of whole community, these 12 sin offerings are, are offered to God. And as they're doing that, it's as if they're saying, we're giving God our work. We're giving God ourselves. We don't want there to be anything between us and God, whether it's intentional or unintentional. We want everything to be completely clear between us and God. And they know sacrifice Sorry, they know forgiveness. They know forgiveness because a sacrifice 
is made. And you know, there's real joy, isn't there? Joy plus in knowing that there is nothing anymore between me and God. It's a real source of joy, that. And how do we know that? Because of the sacrifice. What sacrifice? Well, do you remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming down the road? Jesus said, look, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the one who's made it possible for us to be forgiven. This is a verse from the New Testament. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 1 John 1 verse 7. So there's a joy in being dedicated to God. But there's a joy in knowing that we're forgiven. You know, uh, lots of people in other religions, Buddhists, Hindus perhaps, Muslims I know, would love to be dedicated to God. That's what they want. But the problem is, what about me? What about all the stuff I do? It stops me being dedicated to God, even if I, I, I want to be, but there's something. The great news about Jesus is that he deals with that, that stuff in our lives that uh, between us and God. So we can be dedicated to God because we can know the forgiveness that comes from him. Jesus provides the way. And what else does the New Testament tell us to do? To offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We respond to that forgiveness by giving ourselves, by dedicating ourselves to God in response to his mercy. We can be dedicated to him because he's been merciful to us. And we respond. So there's joy in dedicating ourselves to God. That's a way to know joy plus. But there's a third area in this passage. Third way that we see people experiencing joy plus. It's in verses 19 to 22. And this takes place a few weeks after the dedication of the temple. But it's linked, obviously, because the writer to Ezra, the writer of the book of Ezra, Ezra or whoever it is, uh, makes it very clear that that is the case. A few weeks after the dedication, it's the Passover month. That is the first month of the Jewish year was the month that Passover was held. It's in the springtime. And Passover was that feast that took them right back to their very beginnings. Do you remember the story of how uh, the Israelites were in Egypt and the Egyptians were going to come under the judgment of God and the Israelites were told to, to, to take a lamb and to, to kill the lamb and to paint its blood on the doorpost so that when judgment came on the Egyptians, the, the Israelites were protected because of the blood of this lamb that was killed. So the blood of the lamb meant that they were safe from judgment. And they were set free from that night on to leave Egypt and to go to the land God promised them. Remember that story? That's the story of Passover. Now here in Ezra, this is no ordinary Passover. It's very interesting. You see, uh, those of you may uh, remember the story. Passover, who was meant to kill the lambs? If you're a Jewish family. Who's responsible for getting the lamb for your Passover feast? Well, the head of the household is. 
But that's not what's happening here, is it? The Levites are, are, are killing all the lambs. It's almost as if this is, this is a special Passover. This is something that they're, they're doing even more. Not, not as, well, they're doing it as families, obviously, as was commanded. But this is the whole community celebrating Passover together. They do it together. There's a lovely phrase in there. It talks about the Levites did it for all the exiles, the the priests, their brothers, and so it goes on. So there's this community together celebrating their identity as God's rescued people. And twice we're told in verse 22, they do it with joy. So there's great joy in being God's rescued people. There's great joy in that together as a whole community. And that's really, I think, helpful and important. There's great joy in celebrating the rescue that God has given us in Jesus. Now we need to celebrate that in holiness. Do you remember last, um, I don't know when it was, was it this year? We, had a, we were looking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 5, do you remember all those problems that the Corinthians were having? You know, they hated each other's guts and they were divided. They were meant to be a, a community of, of brothers and sisters, but they were all divided. And, and some of them were into really heavy sin and others were kind of turning a blind eye to it. And in the middle of that, in 1 Corinthians 5, do you remember what Paul says? He says, look... Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So we need to celebrate the feast, he says. When we celebrate communion, which is our kind of equivalent in some ways of Passover, he says we need to do that in holiness, in sincerity, in truth. So we celebrate together. We're rescued people, but we need to do that in right relationships with one another before the Lord. And there's real joy in that. And that's why we have communion. At least once a month. We try and do it twice a month in Portsmouth. But other stuff comes in and sometimes it doesn't make it. But uh, it's important because we're doing that. We're celebrating. We want to know joy in being God's rescued people. And we want to realize that to take that Passover lamb, as it were, or, or to take the feast that Jesus has given us, we want to do that in right relationship with one another and with the Lord as we do that. So there's great joy, joy plus in seeking the Lord together in being God's rescued people. But here's an amazing thing. There's joy in seeking the Lord together as a community with new people. Look in uh, look at verse um, 21. Who celebrated the Passover? Now don't for, don't forget this is the community who earlier on in Ezra, when the people around them who weren't committed to God like they were, wanted to get involved with the building of the temple, had said, sorry guys, but you can't because you you need to be loyal to our God to get involved in our building. That was the way they were working it then. But now in verse 21, the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it, Together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. 
So there were these people who joined the Israelites, people who said, we rather, we, we want to follow your God. We want to stop worshipping the gods that we worship. We want to be part of this community of the Lord, the God of Israel. We want to celebrate the Passover with you. And there's tremendous joy in seeking God together with people who've joined in because they've come to know God for themselves. That's what we want to do, isn't it? That's what we just want to do. And it's just it's a great privilege to stand here knowing some of your stories and know that you know, there's quite a number of people in this room who four, three, two, how many years ago didn't know the Lord, but now you're part of this community. There's joy in that, in celebrating that together. And that's an inspiration. That's why we want to do Open Week. That's why we, we want people in Portsmouth to be blessed by this church community. We want more people who at the moment are, are worshipping idols. They're not kind of literally, some might be, but not all of them. But they've, they've got other things in their lives that displace where God should be. And they don't know anything about Jesus. They don't know anything about how you can know him. And we want to be able to celebrate with loads of people who join in because they've met the Lord. There's great joy in seeking with people like that. And why are they doing this? Verse 21. It's a great word. Quite a a heavy word in the sense it's loaded with meaning. Right at the end of that verse. Gentile neighbours in order to seek the Lord. That's a great word in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word has this idea of God only. To want God. To really want him. To want his, his way. To want him as himself. Not what he gives, not the experience of having him close, but to to seek him for for him. Because he's the Lord and he's the living God and he's done all of this in Jesus and and he's worthy of our praise and, 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 and to seek just him. That's the meaning of that word. And you know, that was what God had spoken to his people before the exile started, more than 70 years ago. God said this through the prophet Amos. Seek me and live, says God. That was Amos's word. This was before the exile. This was when the northern, the the ten tribes, the northern tribes, they were going uh, to Bethel, to Gilgal and Beersheba. That's where their alternative places of worship were. And God is saying, don't go to those places. Don't go to those idols. Seek me. Otherwise, if you don't seek me, I'm going to sweep you away. And that's exactly what happened. And here we are now, uh, well, here we are in Ezra, maybe, I don't know, actually from the northern kingdom. I can't do the maths in my head. But anyway, well over 70 years, maybe 100, 120, 150 years later, back in the land, these people are seeking the Lord together. Isaiah said a similar thing. Before the exile, Isaiah said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. And here are these people, together as a community, from all kinds of backgrounds, together with the Israelites who've come back to the Lord, seeking him together. It would be great to be that kind of community, wouldn't it? People who've joined us as we return in our hearts. Because we always need to keep coming back. And that's the third area. Joy in seeking the Lord together. Joy in a new start. 
And it is a completely new start. Look at verse 22. Now, verse 22 is an interesting verse. Um, But it's saying that God has brought them back. Well, we know that. That's the kind of end of this phase of the story. God has brought them back. The Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria. So he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. Now, those of you who know about your Old Testament history may be thinking, whoa, that's funny. The king of Assyria was the king who caused the first exile, the ten northern tribes exile. He was the one that took them off in the beginning. Ten tribes from the north, because Israel and Judah were divided at this period. You know the background, I won't go into it in too much detail, but they were. And then the ten northern nation called Israel got taken off to Assyria by the king of Assyria. Uh, And then it carried on for a number of years. As I say, I should have got it in my notes. I can't remember how many, but it was a number of years uh, before Judah, the southern tribes, were taken off into exile to Babylon from Jerusalem. The northern tribes had Samaria as their headquarters, as it were, their capital. And the southern tribes had Jerusalem as their capital. But the king that brought them back in Ezra wasn't the king of Assyria, it was the king of Persia. So what's that about? Well, if you think about it, it's as if God is saying, look, this whole sweep of history, it all started with the king of Assyria carting off the ten northern tribes. They've pretty much been obliterated by now. And then the others went off and brought back by Persia. It's like that there's this stream of foreign powers, Assyria, Babylon, uh, and Persia. They're all kind of, you know, they all follow each other. In fact, one kingdom swallowed the next one, which swallowed the next one, which is how they then came back. But the point is, I think that the writer is saying that the thing is God has brought them back. That this kind of whole sweep of God working in judgment against them is over. God has brought them back. And he's done it through the secular powers. Just as he judged them through the secular powers, so he's brought them back in the same way. The point is, it's over. That's the point. If you missed all of that, you can zone back in now. It's over. They're back. The Lord has brought them back to the place where they had stumbled and and got out of relationship with him and been judged and all of that. But now that's over. They're back. There's joy in a new start with God. They're beginning again with God as his rescued, his renewed, his forgiven people. New beginnings are possible with God. Don't care where you are. Don't care how many times you've fallen. I don't know, don't care how far you are from God. You can be the worst sinner ever. Actually, the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, described himself as the chief of sinners. He was the worst one. He was like the equivalent in his day of a kind of jihadist that went around recruiting suicide bombers to destroy Christians. That was what the Apostle Paul was like. Uh, And the Apostle Paul says, God saved me. I had a new start. I came back. God brought me into relationship with him. And that's this great joy plus in in knowing that we can have a new start with God. Joy in renewal. 
Joy in seeking the Lord together. Joy in rescue. That's joy plus. Joy in responding. Joy in being dedicated to God again. Joy in seeing God at work in circumstances through his word, by his spirit, in our lives. Yeah, my life, your life, even our boring or whatever kind of life you may think you have. That living God can work in our lives. And there's joy in that. How about some of that joy then in our lives? Because it's much more than a completed building. When we go back to that building and we can all say, wow, it's fantastic. We can be joyful. That's great. But let's remember that there's a lot more that God has for us than a completed building. If you want to pray about that in your life, then there's an opportunity as we respond. The prayer team will be round there at the front of the, the main church. So there's a quiet place you can go and pray as individuals or maybe as a couple if you want to. Uh, just make your way around as we're singing and then you can pray there then or if you want to after the service, leave it till then. That's okay, that's up to you. But our prayer as elders is that as a church together, we may be knowing joy in seeking the Lord together. I want to encourage us to be seeking the Lord in these days, before we get back into the building, to seek him for what he wants to do. Who he's going to just lead us to, we just don't know, do we? As we look to him for the way ahead. There's going to be kind of a, an opportunity to pray, not quite sure, be a bit like a crucial week. Remember the crucial week? Because that will be something a bit like that. Lou mentioned the 24-7 prayer. During the opening week, there will be an opportunity for us to, to seek the Lord together. It's all part of what we're going to do. Well, there'll be more information about that soon. So let's know joy plus. Joy as we begin with God again. Shall we pray as the musicians come? Lord, we want to thank you that whilst we can know joy in all kinds of ways, that we can know a very special kind of joy as you draw near to us and give us that joy. Joy that comes from knowing that you're at work. Joy in responding to you. Joy in giving ourselves back to you. Joy in looking for the new start that you offer. And even though there may be pain, Lord, we can still know that joy that comes from the assurance of your presence by your spirit in our lives. Lead us on, Lord, as we continue to worship and praise you. And Lord, we pray that we may be those who are filled with joy because you have made us joyful as we live in the light of your presence and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Amen.